Hey, great. All right. Well, good morning, new family. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks for talking back to me. I like that. I'm used to that. I love it. And uh, why does it feel like the first day of school for me? Like, <laughs> why, what's up with that? Um, anyway, look, um, if, yeah, if, if you are new, uh, my name's Chad. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're not new, uh, hi again. Uh, you know who I am. And I, and I want to thank you guys. I feel like I've been thanking people for like the last 10 days straight. I'm going to just keep on thanking you guys. Is that all right with you? Uh, thank you so much uh, for all your love, for all your support, uh, for me, for my family, all the prayers that you guys have been praying for weeks and months. Thank you so much for that. Uh, it's, it's not been lost on us. This was a massive move, a uh, cross-country move for us to answer the call of God that he has on my life and my family's life. And, uh, and you guys have made that easier, whether it's fixing a washer and dryer or helping us unbox things or filling our pantry or just giving us hugs, whatever it is. I mean, you guys have just made this so much more easy for us. And uh, I'm going to blame you guys for that, all right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you've really made us welcome. And I also want to thank someone else, too. I want to thank Cal again for his message uh, last week. Uh, Cal, you said a lot of things that were so helpful, and they were kind and honoring last week. Um, it was a great message. If you didn't listen to it, you should download it and listen to it. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, I've already told you this, but I wanted to tell you again, I've never had another man honor me at, at, to that level like you did last week. And I just wanted to thank you very much for that. Um, and thank him for all the work that he's been doing at Crossway. I've said it before, uh, and I'll say it again. He's a real treasure to, to our church. And if you haven't told him thank you in a while, you ought to. All right? Um, Cal gave our church some really good direction for how to start this new chapter in our life. But I actually think that he did even more than that. He may not have known it, but I, I caught it, and I wanted to kind of highlight it real quick before we get started. Um, he set a tone last week, didn't he? He set a tone of honor and of team. It was like he took a baton and he went, there. He set a, a tone, a culture starting here. And, I, and what I want to see, if, if I had my way, this is what I would want. I want to see us cultivate that. Not to be the end of something, but a carrying on of something. Are you with me? A culture here at Crossway of honoring each other I mean, if this is how you treat all the new people, oh my gosh. That's amazing. And of teamwork. What if we got the reputation of, hey, you know, Crossway, they're that group of people that really know how to honor each other. And they know how to work together for God's glory. That's just kind of me thinking out loud, all right? Uh, we got a lot of work to do. I know the seats are going to get real uncomfortable fast, okay? So we're going to move on. This week, we start a new sermon series based in the Psalms, and we're calling it Soundtrack, Songs of the Soul. And the Psalms were the prayers and the poems of the Israelites. It was set to music. So you think about this. As you're reading through the Psalms this week and the next few uh, weeks, actually, music is going on in the background. This is what they're singing and praying to music. It's like, think of it like this. The, it's like a collection of like the greatest hits of the Israelites, all right? This is the greatest hits of the redeemed. That they would sing in front of each other, in the congregation with one another, all right? So think about that as we're going through this series. It's the soundtrack that plays over the storyline of God's people throughout the centuries. And this is why God's people have been singing these psalms and hymns and spiritual songs for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years. That's what we're calling this soundtrack. 
And there's a lot of ways that we could study the Psalms. And what I'd like to do is focus on in this series is how our soul relates to God. How our soul relates to God in light of all the circumstances that we face and all the emotions that come with that. And we're going to start right at the beginning at Psalms 1. And so this will be a 149-week series, so no, I'm just joking. Some of you guys have already asked. I just want to take that pressure off you guys so you can relax. All right, we're not going to hit all of them, but we're going to start with Psalm 1, okay? And if you have your Bibles, I'd really like you to open them up, please, to Psalm 1. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today or you're a new believer, so just put your thumb in the middle of the Bible and open it up. You're probably going to hit Psalms, all right? That's where to find it. So... Um, I am going to read the whole song to give us some context, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to dive in. Sound good? All right. So Psalm 1. Blessed. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or sits, or stands in the way of the sinner, or sits in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight, is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted. Are you picturing this? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you that you've given us another day to come and worship you. <laughs> I love worshiping you. I love talking about you. God, we come here with different things on our minds. Some of us just got an argument in the parking lot on the way here with our kids. We got difficulties, we got struggles, we got challenge, we got life, God. We brought all that in here. And Lord, here's the thing, we know we've got nothing good to give to you, but you have everything good to give to us. We come to worship because we need to worship you. So Lord, would you help us worship you? Would you help us put all those distractions aside just for a few minutes and, and just take us to the throne of God? Lord, help us worship you, Lord. Help me, Lord. I just pray for your power and your strength to be on me as I speak. Let me, Lord, speak boldly and very plainly so that I'd be helpful to people today. Lord, you are the one that I want to please today. You're the one I want to see smiling on me today. And I pray that you would. I pray that this would be good and profitable for us and that we would submit our hearts and listen to whatever it is that you have to feed us today from your word. We love you. There is no God like you. And we, we pray and say it all in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. So we are constantly looking for happiness in life. It drives every decision we make every day of our life. It's that big of a motivator. Did you know that? When there are choices to make, we do, we choose whatever we believe will make us the most happy 
at Vincent, in that situation, at that moment. That's why we chose that instead of another way. In fact, even God does this. Did you know that? Psalms 115.3 says this. Our God is in heaven, and he does whatever pleases him. And we're made in the image of God, right? So we're designed to chase happiness. I mean, it is baked into our DNA as men and women to chase happiness. But if you lived any length of time on the planet Earth, you know really well, as I do, that what we desire and what we experience are often two different things. They're often worlds apart, right? The hard reality for most of us is that happiness is a wonderful idea that's just out of our reach, and it just torments us. It's like a mirage in a desert. We get up to it, and oh, really wasn't there. It's gone. And to make matters worse, everyone has a theory of what brings happiness. We can't even agree on what brings happiness to us. Everyone's got their own theory. Some say, you know what it is? It's getting married. And just sharing everything with someone that you love, right? Other people say it's being single and being independent. And not having to share anything with anyone. Okay, so which is it? Which is it? It can't be both at the same time. Or how about this? It, it may be uh, doing the work that you love and finding satisfaction in that. Or it's never being broke again because, you know, you've been that way and that's never going to happen again. Or it's hanging out with your buddies on the weekend. Or maybe it's just having a weekend all to yourself with no one around. And yet, even in pursuing all of these things, few of us are happy. Most of us are angry, we're frustrated, we're complaining. Just get in your car and try to drive. <laughs> you know that's true. So, here's the question that I, I kind of came up while I was reading this. Is, is happiness a mirage that we're chasing? Or is it a reality that we can experience? Like, I, like, I like, want to know the answer to that question. If it drives everything that I do, I want to know how to answer that question, don't you? And here's what we find in Psalms 1. We can find happiness when we chase it with godly wisdom. See, Psalm 1 is a little different. It's not exactly like a song. It's more like wisdom. It reads a lot like Proverbs, doesn't it? It's giving us advice and, and the right way to do life. And there's a few of those scattered throughout the Psalms. It's wisdom literature. Here's the way to go. And that word blessed that we read right at the very beginning, that, that's best translated as happy. There's another word for blessed. This was a different one. It's, it's best translated as happy. And, and you know what? It's the first word of the first verse of the first psalm. Did you notice that? It's almost like the psalmist knows exactly how important happiness is to each and every one of us. And it's like he's saying this. You get this right You've got to know what this is, how to find and how to chase happiness, or you won't get the other 149 psalms. So let's start off right. I want to talk today about two ways to chase happiness, the obstacle to our happiness, and what removes it. Okay? The first is this. Happy people chase a different source of happiness they choose a different source of happiness. Let's look back at verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
Now, the psalmist knows something really important about happiness. And he knows this. It's not something that we can just go get directly. We can't just experience it directly. We get happiness as a byproduct of chasing something else. All right? Happiness is not a commodity. It's not a physical object, in other words, that we can acquire. I don't care what Coke tells us, all right? You don't open a bottle of happiness, right? I saw some of you guys drinking Coke at the picnic yesterday. What does it say? Happiness. What do you open? You open a bottle of Coke, and then you get happy. (laughs) So you understand what I'm saying? Coke is claiming that their drink is a source of happiness, not happiness itself. So we chase a source of happiness in order to experience it. Is this making sense? And everybody does this. Everybody in this room does this, and everyone outside of this room is doing it right now. Everybody. And here's my point. Whatever source you chase, that is the authority you have chosen to submit to. Okay? Are you tracking with that? You can say amen. So we chase a source of happiness to experience, and everyone does this. Whatever source you chase, that is your authority. That's what you've chosen to put over your life to help guide and direct your life, to help you find happiness. The psalmist is telling us something very important that we need to get. There are really only two sources we can follow. There's only two sources, and we have to make a choice. And we will make a choice because we choose it every moment of every day when we have choices to make. There's only two choices. It looks like there's lots of options. You can stand in this way. You can sit in this path. You can sit in this seat, right? There's this plurality. How can I say it? There's a lot, right? There's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways to choose, right? No, 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 no. He's saying it's, it's, it's all window dressing. There's two ways. We can, obey, we can obey other people's instructions for happiness and follow those principles, the principles of family or a community or a fitness instructor or our coach or a financial advisor or the advertisers at Lexus. Or we can follow God's instructions for happiness. Everybody chases a source of happiness. Whatever source we chase, that's our authority. And the, the happy man, the happy woman has chosen to chase God. God's instructions are their source of happiness. Look at verse 2 again. It says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. To delight in something means to find immense pleasure in it. It means to to enjoy something for all its worth, just, just squeezing the life out of it. Every last drip. That's delight. Puts a smile on your face that lasts a long time. And so I don't know if you're reading this and you're thinking the way I think. Maybe so, maybe not. But I'm thinking, how do I delight in the law of the Lord? How am I supposed to delight in the law of the Lord? You know, we hear that phrase, the law of the Lord, and we think, ah, killjoy. Rules, regulations, I got to follow, right? But you know what? The Israelites would hear that phrase. You know what they think? Joy. We think killjoy. They think joy. And I want to know why. It's because the law was a sign that God is in a covenant relationship with you. That's why they would find joy in that. Before God gave his law to his people, you know what he did? He always prefaced it with a story. It was a story of grace, a story of love and grace. He'd tell them a story. 
He'd say, you know what? You're in a relationship with me because I saved you. I saved you. And that's why you're in a relationship with me now. You were dead. I brought you to life. You were in slavery and I busted you out. You were hopeless in your struggle and plight, and I gave you a living hope. And I did it so, you could in, uh, so that you and I could enter into a relationship with one another. Now, now, here's how you enjoy that relationship that's already yours. Here's how you enjoy it. Here's how you experience it. So happy people are glad to follow God's teaching and instructions because they know it leads to life. It's through God's word that we know God more accurately. It's through God's word that our soul is sustained in difficult times like a tree planted by streams of water. It's through God's word. That's what roots us. That's what anchors us. And that's what gives us nourishment. God is calling us to delight ourselves in his instruction. He wants us to meditate on this all the time. All the time. Regardless of the situation, we are to be asking ourselves this question. God, what do you say in this situation? In real time, in this moment, what do you say about this? What would you have me do? Whether it's an argument with our spouse, or it's dealing with a client, or how to spend money when you're on a really tight budget, or whether you're indulging uh, self-pity thoughts, God's word is constantly getting turned over in our mind every hour of the day, not just 90 minutes on Sunday morning. This is what it means to meditate on God's word day and night. So you see, you and I have a choice to make. You can't get out of it. Can't get out of it. We're going to make a choice every day. In fact, we're going to make that choice every moment that we're conscious. Here it is. Do I believe following God's instructions will make me happiest in this situation? Or do I actually believe that something else will? That's it. Will I delight in what God says, or will I delight in something better? We must chase God's instructions as our source of happiness. But not only that, happy people chase a different vision for happiness. Let's look at verses 3 and 4 here. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. So now, happiness is an emotion that God has given to us. It's a good emotion. He gave it to us. But the vision of happiness that society holds out to us is based almost entirely on this feeling instead of a state of being. Let me throw out a few versions of this and see, see uh, if any of them describe the state of your heart today. Okay? I'll be happy when someone finds me desirable. I'll be happy when I get the promotion I've been working for all year. I'll be happy when I have all the kids home for Christmas. I'll be happy when my team wins the Super Bowl. Did I get anybody with that one? I'll be happy when my church doubles in size. You know what the problem is with all those pictures of happiness? Is that apart from God, all happiness is fleeting. It's temporary. It's temporary. 
So the happiness lasts until the newness wears off or the makeup runs out or, or the other team takes the title away or our plans fall through. And then what are we left with? Emptiness, right? Empty trophy case, empty wallet, empty house, empty soul. But the psalmist gives us a wonderful picture of what happiness is for the person who loves God and follows his instructions. Here's this picture. It's a total contrast. Total contrast. He or she will be like a well-watered tree that has delicious fruit and deep roots. You got that picture in your mind? By the way, did you notice all of the similarities between this tree described here and the tree, the tree of life in, in the Garden of Eden? You got to go check that out sometime. That's for free. <laughs> they will be unmovable though the wind blows. They will last though the scorching sun beats down on them. They will live and not die is what I'm saying. They will live and not die. They will live and not die. They will live and not die. Why? Because they are receiving life from a deeper, stronger, everlasting source. It doesn't matter if it rains or not for this tree. It's getting its water from the stream. That stream's flowing all the time. And not only that, but in this picture it says that they will bear fruit and have leaves. You know what fruit is? It's food. Fruit is food for other people. And leaves are the protection of that. It's protecting the fruit. This person is going to be a life-giving soul, not a life-sucking soul. You know people that are just life-sucking souls? They're just always griping about something. They always want to bring you down or tell you about a problem that you didn't quite notice. You're just like, oh, well, thanks, right? This is not the person. This person is life-giving. Like I just want to tell you something that's great. I want to give something to you. That's the picture of this person. They'll also be a source of healing, nourishment. Aloe's a leaf, it heals, right? In other words, they are happy. Why? Because they're living for something bigger than themselves. That's why. They know why they're there. Bear fruit and have leaves that are evergreen. People who follow God are not happy because their life is one big Mountain Dew commercial. Woohoo! I'm having fun. That's not why we're happy. We're happy because we know that we will not perish in the end. And that, that our purpose on life is to bless others. When we're doing what we're purposed to do, we're happy. Is this the vision of happiness you're change, chasing? It should really should be. If it's not, that's fine. Let God challenge that. So, so here's the deal. There's two ways to live, right? There's two sources to choose from. Everybody chooses every moment of every day. They choose between one of two sources, right? It's pretty simple. Pretty black and white. Sermon over, right? But what's the truth, right? The truth is, it's not that easy, is it? It's not that simple in real time. Something always gets in the way. Have you noticed that? Something always gets in our way. See, happy people recognize the obstacle to happiness. 
They know what it is. They look at it. They recognize it. They see it. They know what that obstacle is. They're not caught unawares by it. You see, in our mind, we know what to do. And we know how to do it. But we don't do it. The problem isn't with what we know. The problem isn't that we need more, more knowledge. It's not that we need more Bible studies, as great as that is. We know, but we don't do it. Because the problem isn't with what we know. The problem is with what we love. What I'm saying is the problem is our heart. The problem is our heart. God wants to get after your heart and my heart and what we love. This psalm is a, about the blessed man. It should actually kind of depress us a little bit. I mean, so here's what you do, and here's how you get happiness. Go for it. Yeah, and it just screams out to us. Oh, and you can't do it. You can't do it. <laughs> go ahead. Go try. Delight in the law of the Lord. Meditate on his law day and night. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm doing good to get to Bible study once a week. Like, that's a good week for me. Day and night, every day. I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't think so. Be the tree in Psalms 1. Be a life-giving person to someone else. Really? Yeah, that's, that's going to be easy until, uh, you know, they kind of get on my nerves. Or I don't think they deserve it. Amen? Let's be honest. We're in church. Let's be honest, all right? Let's not lie to each other, all right? It's easy to sit in church and agree and all bob our heads up and down and go, yes, choose God, follow him. That's the way to be happy. Amen. That's like easy. That's easy to do. But what about five minutes later when there's equipment to pack up or there's someone that you don't necessarily want to talk to and they're, gonna, they're approaching you and they're getting closer? What about that? How about later on tonight when you get in an argument with your spouse and you're really having an argument and, you know, getting the last word is still up for grabs because that's a great trophy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got it tonight. See, not so easy in real time at real speed. Amen? We need to recognize that our greatest obstacle is what our heart trusts and loves the most in that moment. Not just in our head, like some doctrine we ascribe to and check off. What does your heart love at that moment? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Our, our hearts often believe a lie that is as old as another tree in the Garden of Eden. And here's the lie. God isn't as spectacular as he says he is. You heard that one clanging around in your head or your soul? So like our first mother, Eve, we believe the serpent's lie and desire another tree to find happiness. Genesis 3, 6 says this, So when the woman saw the tree that was good for food, that it was good for food, and that it was a delight, there's a delight word again, delight to the eyes, and that that tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So just take a second and think about your heart. What do you regularly find more wonderful or more delightful than being with God? I'll wait. 
Let me throw a few out, see if I can hit somebody, okay? If it's having plenty of money, then you will find it impossible to be generous to people. It won't happen. If it's marriage that you find more delightful than God, then you know what? You'll find it crushing to be single or widowed. Not just sad, crushing. If it's being the smartest person in the room, then you will find it insulting to learn from other people. I'm going to just tell you one of mine. Leaders go first, right? So I'm going to tell you one of mine. This is what I find my heart delighting in, is comfort. It's comfort. I like comfort. It feels good, doesn't it? So I'm willing to do things for people as long as it's comfortable or doesn't inconvenience me. This move out here is the most uncomfortable thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life. That's why I know it's God, not me. So you can pray for me about that. So I told you mine. I went first. What's yours? I would love it if after the sermon you came up and just told me what that is. We could pray about it. That'd be great. Our hearts were made to worship, family. It was made to worship. And the thing is that our heart doesn't worship something because it's merely true. Olympia is the capital of Washington. True? True. That truth, that fact does not evoke worship in anyone. Not even a map maker. No one worships because of that is true, right? Beauty and glory inspire our hearts to worship. The only way, the only way for us to delight ourselves in God is if His beauty and His glory stagger us. It staggers us. It staggers our imagination. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you were just awestruck by God, by the beauty of God and who He is? When was the last time that happened? Has it been a while? If we're going to be people that chase a different source of happiness and a different vision, then we need to have more than just our minds informed. We need more just than just more information about the Bible and about God. And that's good, and we've got to have that. But we need more than that. We need our hearts to be dazzled. Okay? We need to be evoked to worship God. I'm talking like jaw on the floor, hand over mouth, eyes wide. You better pinch me because I think I'm dreaming kind of dazzled by God. That's what we need. And what could that be, you're probably wondering. So glad you asked. Because <laughs> uh, we're rounding third and we're heading for home, right? Happy people know that God has chased them. God has chased them. Think about that for a second. We get just a hint of it in verse 6. Okay? Verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What does it mean for God to know his people? It cannot mean for him to merely be informed. Right? God doesn't need to be informed about anything. because God knows things. He knows everything. So it must be a different kind of knowledge. Uh, Derek Kidner is a well-respected Old Testament scholar. He says that the knowing here, knowing in this verse, includes caring for and identifying with someone. The psalmist is reminding us that God cares for and has identified with his people and their plight. 
He's identified with his people and their plight, their struggle. Throughout the Bible, God is constantly coming down to identify with his people and care for his people. He came down in the form of a cloud to guide them in the wilderness. Remember that? He came down on the rock and made water come out of it. He came down in the Ark of the Covenant to show that he lives with them. He tabernacles among them. He's identifying with them. And, and, and what's the problem? What's our problem? What's our plight? Our problem is that we, we are righteous, but we walk in the way of sinners. Our problem is that we're the people of God. We, we, we're righteous, but we sit in the seat of scoffers. That's our problem. We walk in the counsel of the wicked. And what do we deserve for that? The psalmist says to be cut off. That's what we have earned. That's what we deserve. To be blown away like chaff. To perish instead of to flourish. That's what we deserve. That's what we've logged hours to do. But here's the good news that's here in verse 6. I want you to get this. The Lord knows his people. The Lord knows his people. He cares for and identifies with us even in our sin and our, and our weaknesses and our rebellion. He knows us. He is cared for and identifies with us. And the greatest way that God demonstrated his love for us was identifying with us through Jesus Christ. That was the ultimate way that he tabernacled among us. John 1. This psalm is pointing us to the truly blessed man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Listen, if anyone delighted in the law of the Lord, it was Jesus, right? He said what? I only do what I see my father doing. It made him happy. And that's all he wanted to do. Day and night, that's all he wanted to do. If anyone found joy in doing the will of God, it was Jesus, amen? So if anyone deserved to flourish like a tree bearing fruit by a stream that lasts forever, Jesus deserved that. He deserved that. But what happened to Jesus? The exact opposite happened to him. Like the exact opposite happened to him. On the cross, Jesus was cursed by God instead of being blessed. He was blown away like the chaff. Deuteronomy 21 says this, And if a man is committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and if you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain there all night but you shall bury him on the same day. Why? For a hanged man is cursed by God. Christ was struck down in his 30s. He was struck down in the prime of his life, in the prime of his time, though he delighted himself in God day and night. Jesus was cut off from the land of the living at the cross, and he perished. Why? Why? You've got to be asking yourself, why did he choose that path? Why did he choose to go down that plan with the Father? So that by taking the curses that we deserve, we could get the blessings that belong to him. That is why. And that's grace. And that's good stuff. We get the blessings that belong to him, the title of sonship and the spirit, Right? And eternal life. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is the only thing that's powerful enough to give a worship and delight in God from our hearts. I want you guys to be dazzled by how much it costs God to love you and to chase you. That should be dazzling you. 
Paul says it this way in Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, he's paraphrasing Deuteronomy here, cursed is everyone that is hanged on a tree. Why? So that in Christ the blessing, there's that blessing word again, so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's us. So that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. We are happy because we know that though we sin, though we're wicked, we don't make that right choice all the time. God chased us at great cost to himself. That is the gospel, and that's what makes us want to live for him and not for ourselves. That's what makes us want to delight in every word he ever spoke and every word he ever wrote. Psalms are written to help us delight in the Lord. They actually help us do that. Because they're not merely to change our mind over what we believe, but to change our heart and what it worships and what it loves the most. So I want to ask you guys, like I said, we all have choices, right? I want to ask you about this summer. Is this summer going to be just like last summer for us? Like, is this summer going to be all about barbecues and hiking and all the stuff that we do, like all the garage sale deals that we got just like it was last summer for you. Like, is that what this summer is going to be like, like repeat again? Or is this the summer that your heart delights in something far more spectacular than all that really good stuff? I think it can be. I think it can be. I, I really want us as a church to soak ourselves each week in the Psalms and see if our heart begins to get happy in God. Okay? I'm going to come up later in a minute after John talks, but I'm gonna, I love you guys. I'm going to pray for you. Okay, Let's pray.